Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. Welcome back to Podside, everyone. This is, of course, Carlo, and uh, I'm joined today by uh, my co-host, Kurt. Hello, Kurt. Hoo-ha! 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 <laughs> and today, special guests, Aaron, Carly, Hit Factory, returning once again. And we're going to be talking about the 1992 Barry Levinson Robin Williams vehicle, Toys. <laughs> and it is a vehicle. It well, is it is a bumper car, specifically. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, so so uh, I, as I understand it, um, Aaron, uh, you had mentioned before we started that you had not watched this ever before, right? Correct. This is my very first time seeing Barry Levinson's toys. <laughs> uh, Carly, <laughs> was, was this also a first a first timer for you? No, I uh, watched, I think I've seen this movie like 25 times in my entire life. Um, yes. <laughs> we had the VHS oh, uh, when I was wow. a kid um, and I was enthralled by it. Um, I don't remember when I first put it on, but um, I watched it. I loved every second of it and was like totally taken by what was on screen, even if I didn't fully understand what was going on. And it was one of those movies that I would just always, like, I would always come back to it. I, I would put it on and, and like, know all the beats and love, like, looking at the costumes and the, the, the sets. And I just, like, it's, it was one of those films that I just watched as a kid over and over and over again. Um, so I have seen this movie, I think, maybe more than, like, any other person alive, probably. Because, <laughs> like, no one has seen this movie or, like, knows about it or it's thinks so highly of it. <laughs> it's, it's become difficult to find now. Uh, but but I'm sorry, I, I may have cut you off, Kurt. Oh, I was no. going to say, I, uh, so, Carly... I too have seen this many, many times. In my oh my case, god, I love this for us. <laughs> in my in my <laughs> case, it's because I, this was shown constantly for a four or five year period on uh, Comedy Eight. Central. I believe. Oh it my was. god, really? Yes, Comedy Central used to show toys. I think it was comedy. It, it was either Comedy Central or TNT, and I feel like it was mm. Comedy Central. Yeah, um, they had a real like yen for um, like mid career Robin Williams stuff, um, <laughs> oh, especially that- stuff that like necess- wasn't necessarily super well received, like like some other Barry Levinson pictures, like uh, Good Morning Vietnam, for instance. Oh you know? right, right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. Um, and uh, and like Comedy Central would just show these films that like it's not like I guess it's a comedy like it is a comedy you know like Robin Williams is there doing his thing but yeah it's it really stuck with me and there's like images it's got a lot of images that I I think like are just 
brain evocative and you can poke mm-hmm. at them and dissect them. But there's something about it, I think, that uh, appeals to a young mind in a way that uh, a grown ass adult might be like, what's up with this? You know, yeah. but, absolutely. Like, as totally a kid, agree. your brain just like. <laughs> and, yes. I, and I had that that comment, actually, Kurt, when I was watching this because i was i was watching uh, at least part of this when i started it on my lonesome um because carly's seen it so much and and i was like okay i need to catch up on this and check it out and when i was kind of recounting my experience with it to carly i was like i know i know that i would have really been into this when i was young because it's so vivid and there's so many interesting images and it has like such like uh an interesting kind of palette and all these weird little like fixins and toys and everything in it i mean it would have just made my my brain go like haywire the way i did when i went into like an fao schwartz or something as a kid <laughs> yes yes, uh, yes but i was like but as an adult there are parts of this movie that i'm like this is fascinating and really lovely i wish it wasn't so annoying <laughs> <laughs> it is a bit annoying in a special in a special way that so so my kids are seven and four um, and they watch a lot of um, like Minecraft YouTube stuff. I say a lot. Mm-hmm. We try we try to regulate it, and um, there's something very annoying about those things in a way that it's hard to put your finger on precisely. It it just is. A li- it just is is annoying. It's just annoying, you know. And it's like it's very, it's it's unflinchingly energetic. It's a little bit shouty. It's very bright to the point that like it all kind of. It's like it's like just having to gain on everything turned all the way up, mm, um, right? And so I think that there's a chemical uh, that is released in your brain sometime around the some somewhere between the ages of 17 and 27. I want to say, I think it varies from person to person mm. where suddenly you cross the toys YouTuber threshold and you're like, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's valid. Yeah. I think that that's, I, I think there's something to that. That's probably, that's a smart way to put it. Kurt. And I think it's like, I, I feel like there are like two modes of like stimulating children's entertainment of this kind. I like I put this up against one of my favorite childhood movies and one of my favorite movies of all time still, even though they are nothing alike. But I think of uh, Jim Henson's The Dark Crystal mm-hmm. and there are like things that they're both doing that I, I think are similar, which is like things that are kind of like uncanny to the point of scaring the shit out of you, but also like stimulating you and fascinating you where you're like, I want to know what what's going on here. Um but this movie has like, yeah, kind of like a, a, a sort of saccharine, like really like uh, energetic kind of quality to it. Whereas that other movie, The Dark Crystal, has like a little bit more reservations, uh, a little bit more reservation, a little bit more patience mm-hmm. to it, where it just kind of like saddles into like a, a groove and a mode and allows you to just kind of feel it and experience this like kind of weird world. Either way, they're both good. Uh, but they're distinct and different. And I, I, I think I always end up favoring the latter of those two, the one that's a little bit more just kind of like uncanny and weird, but also a little bit quieter than something like this. Mm-hmm. Um, e- even as I was watching it, like, yeah, this, this would have been totally my jam as a kid. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I think I, I did not watch it probably as young as, uh, 
as uh, Kurt or Carly, but but I did catch it uh, before. I guess before it was on Comedy Central forever. Uh, it it ran for probably uh, I want to say like six months, like just back to back almost uh, on HBO for a while. Oh yeah, yeah. This and, is a very '90s HBO type movie. It is. Yeah. 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 And uh, and so one of the things one of the things that is really uh, fascinating to me uh, is that even though at the time this came out and it was probably on HBO, I was recently out of the military, right? And I I don't have a good recollection that I ha- I was keyed into exactly what this movie is trying to say. <laughs> at the time, so this is I mean, this I'm, is, I'm laughing. I'm laughing at you like. Coming out of the military and staring at a movie extremely about the military and being like, what's this saying? <laughs> no, for real. I don't, I don't it's, understand. It's I that mean, Garfield but, but meme. Got, it's like, huh, I wonder who that's uh, for. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I mean, but but again, this is, I was what, pre-20, like maybe 20 to 21 years old at the time. I didn't know shit from shit. So like I I was also like, oh, cool colors, neat, cool. You know, I was I was probably engaging with it in a very simple way in the sense of, you know, simple in the sense that like like a kid would because it does look very much like a kid's movie, right? Um and and, and to your uh, earlier points Aaron, um the the palette um is very uh, particular uh, in part because like uh, later on I f- I sort of like figured out that it, oh they're they're referencing you know Rene Magritte a lot you know that type of painting mm-hmm. but without the the sort of the the, the more sinister aspects of uh, Magritte's real uh, surrealism I should say um, so it it is it does sort of uh, allow. I, I will say that, um, and this might also add to the somewhat um, sentimentality or saccharine nature of it. Uh, it is also v- quite melancholy at times, mm-hmm. um, but in a way that uh, is very ironic. Uh, I, I'm thinking right almost one of the first scenes is, uh, I mean, apart from getting to the boss's office that you need to go up like these the stairs, color, the colorful, oh my God. <laughs> it's so great. And, and so he's, it doesn't, it doesn't immediately become clear until he sort of like stutters and starts failing that his little beanie <laughs> that he's wearing <laughs> has a light on it that suddenly just starts going out and flickering. And he just sort of like, they're, they're, he's very close to the end. You're like, Oh, so he, he's, he's so, he's such a toy maker that he himself operates like a toy. <laughs> like his wind is just running down and that's all there is to it. Yeah. His batteries go out. Yep. <laughs> but my not on the barrel part, of laughs. Never on the barrel part, of laughs. Uh, about the, um, the sequence with the stairs, the rolling stairs, is not just the stairs themselves. I do love the stairs themselves, and I love that like all the furniture on the receptionist desk is is like um, those those kind of like carved wooden blocks, like the old mm-hmm. play school play school play yeah. set um, type blocks. But that the the pattern on the floor is also like weird MC Escher stairs. <laughs> like so yeah. so not not only yeah. are there weird stairs in the room there's also a picture of other weird stairs overlapping with the actual weird stairs. <laughs> Do we know who did 
the set design for uh, for this film? I should have I should have looked it up because the the production uh, design Italian for this movie has designer, always always Ferdinando fascinated me. Ferdinando Scarliotti or Scarfiotti. Yeah. In Italian. Well, bless him. I <laughs> Hey, forget uh, about it. <laughs> hey. Um no, like I I want to talk about the Magritte stuff in a second or or mm-hmm. later whenever um but i i just do want to spend a moment on on the production design as it relates to kind of kurt's earlier point about like um you know a, a child looking at this and and really being captivated by it um this movie uh is melancholy yes but what i love so much about the production design and the sets and the costumes is that it all sort of evokes a sense of like wonder and like, um, and like, uh, just a child's ability to let go of like, uh, expectations of what sort of like the, like regular adult world looks Mm. like and operates like. And, um, and so the film sort of like communicates that in its aesthetic, but it also kind of engenders that feeling. Um, it, it certainly did for me as a child. Like I felt very much like this film, you know, was filled with like the, the sense of possibility and like just like things happening. Mm. And as we were watching it again, um, this last time I, I felt that same thing where I was like, when I'm watching this world that they're all in, things feel possible. And that's a very like, that's very anti how I feel on a regular mm-hmm. basis, just like as an adult living under capitalism with the pol- political perspective that I have. Um, and I think that's important. Um, I think it's material to the, the narrative of the, the film itself, but I also think that that's an important like movie watching experience that we mm-hmm. don't have that often anymore. I, I, I think that, I think you're exactly right, Carly. And the way that, but what I would add to it is that I think it is a uniquely, um, it's a very late 80s, early 90s kind of, I guess, like corporate chic optimism. Mm, um, yeah, where, yeah, where, yeah. Like it's a very, it's it's very precisely Microsoft optimism to me. Right. Like there's something <laughs> yes. about yep. that. The sky. Like, that they yeah yeah the br- the bright blue sky not, not not just because I believe this is parts of this were filmed in I think it's called the Palouse uh, which, like that, yeah. which is like mm-hmm. a, it's like a series of rolling grass hills um, in um, I think it's in it's, Idaho I forget is it in Washington I, or is it in Idaho it's, it's in, parts parts in Idaho and parts I believe in Oregon. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. Thank you. So, so mm-hmm. not not only is it filmed in the same area that they filmed the famous Windows ninety five, you know, Green Rolling Hills backdrop. I, I I think I think just that 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 kind of big big blocky buildings of you know shining blue sky. Everything's clean. Uh, there's this sense of an almost an almost oppressive optimism, but not mm. quite in a not quite in a dystopian way. 
I, 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 although I think it kind of feels that way now, but it's this, it's that sense of like, it's, it's not quite end of history, but it's like, oh, we're getting there. We're getting to the end of history. And, and I think it's really interesting to me how the film, frankly, kind of, kind of, it doesn't quite call out that style, but it, but it calls out the, the corporatism aspect of it really even before, but before that, that had, you know, reached its logical conclusion of like the late, you know, the late nineties where everyone's like, Oh, actually all these, all these companies, Enron, Enron, when Enron, when Enron mm-hmm. collapses, when this yeah. style ended definitively, because yeah. yeah. actually, if you watch those weird, do you remember those weird Enron commercials with the guy in the tin suit walking around? Yep. Like, yes. Why? Why? Oh my God. Why? That, it's yeah. that, that's, that's that same tone to me as, as this film. Hmm. I think you're spot on with that. I totally agree. Yeah. I mean, I, I was I was going to say that um, to a certain degree, uh, yeah, it, it, it certainly feels very uh, different now. Um, but but I also think that in part the way that the uh, like you were mentioning, Kurt, the there are little ironic flourishes, right? Because mm-hmm. they use uh, what is it, um, Tori Amos's uh, "Happy Little Workers" or whatever mm-hmm. uh, as like this backdrop when they go through the factory floor. Mm-hmm. Um, and granted, like yeah, sure, everything looks like toys and whatnot, but it, I think this is working on. It's supposed to be working at least on on two different levels, which is there's some jokes in there that are ironic and wry and cynical for the adults, and then there's all the color with for the kids. Uh, but I don't think that this is really a kids movie. Is the problem? <laughs> no, it's not exactly a kids movie. Um, but it, it is. It's, I mean, it's, it's like, visually it's like, interesting. Sufficiently yeah, like, so. I, I think that there's a difference between, say, a kids movie and a movie about being a kid or something, or about childhood, for instance. Mm, mm-hmm. Right. Like, like the, I, I would. I, firmly categorize the the where the wild things are in a movie about childhood not a kids movie <laughs> hmm. yeah i think that i think that is fair um i will say though that like this like yes this film has uh subject matter and um ideas about like the American Imperial Project that, like, I would not have picked up on when I mm-hmm. was, like, seven years old. Um, or, 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 in my case, 20 or so. so. Or 20 coming out of the military. Um, but, <laughs> but, um, but I do think that this, this film is for kids in the sense that the, the kind of um, oppressive optimism that uh, that Kurt is referencing is one that um, would be read by a child merely as like optimism. as just sort mm-hmm. of like existence, like yeah. what life is like. Right. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like that, um, that like, you know, you, you don't sort of uh, as a child watching this, like I didn't pick up on the, the cynicism of, of that optimism. Um, but I think like related to this is uh the very real aesthetic and thematic ties to Magritte, um, mm-hmm. who is, as we know, a, a surrealist painter, 
um, very famous for like his, his skies and his bowler hats and his pipes. And, um, this film has a lot of Magritte's imagery, um, very obviously, but I think what makes the use of Magritte's imagery, uh, narratively makes sense is that Magritte in his surrealism was, was pushing up a lot of, uh, sort of questions about like modern man's place in society mm-hmm. and like where he sits, um, as it relates to, uh, spaces like domestic spaces and public spaces and, um, and what his role is, uh, r- related to, um, the kind of, how do I want to put this? The, the, the industrialization of, of spaces, um, mm-hmm. and of man. Mm-hmm. And this film is very much about, um, it's about many things, but it is about, uh, kind of the, the militaristic, um, grind of, of capitalism coming in and, uh, and taking things over and, how that changes your relationship to um, not just spaces, but people, artifacts, products, um, processes. And, and so Magritte's imagery here feels really uh, right. Um, Mm -hmm. And also, you know, the, the surrealist elements of, of his work um, are, are very much about playing with proportion and like, uh the the sort of oppressive nature of objects in an industrialized landscape and that is what this film is talking about so carly i'm chuckling to myself because you're talking about spaces and it immediately brought to mind one of the 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 funnier on like i i don't want to say ongoing i want to say funnier um sort of longer little gags in in the film where there's an entire scene where they're doing research and development on fake vomit novelty vomit <laughs> oh my god yeah so good and then the 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 walls start tetrising inward uh which is you know obviously um the 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 uncle of is it lee I forget. Is it Leland or no? Leland is the uncle. Leslie right. is the son, who yep. should have been the heir apparent to the to the toy factory, but for whatever reason, his uh, his wind up beanie wearing dad <laughs> gave it to his uncle instead. Uh, and so uh, Michael Gambon is great as this, uh, as essentially a stand-in for wounded militarism uh, specifically u.s militarism mm-hmm. mm. where he's still yep. he's still reliving like the the sting of vietnam and how you know mm-hmm. he, he almost got fragged once and then they lost yeah uh and but he's also uh you know we have to remember the the milieu in which this is happening he's also dressed uh, you know michael gambon is great in this but he's also uh, Dressed basically like Norman Schwarzkopf. Right. Right. Uh, so, you know, like, you know, Levinson, I guess, has taken some pot shots at, at, you know, the entire idea behind Desert Storm and Desert Shield before that and just the military in general. Um, I think to the earlier point that you made, Carly, about the industrialization, I would, I would argue that 
the way that it's it's definitely an anti-military film, but it's not an anti-corporate film because the no. hero here yeah. is basically a corporation, a very nice one. It's Santa Inc. Basically, right? Ah, well, yeah. Right. So, so that's that's something that that I specifically wanted to mention that I think runs, I, I think ties into uh, the aesthetics of Magritte. Also, which is if you look at most of Magritte's famous paintings, anyway. They feel very pleasant still, Mm -hmm. right? Like at first glance, they have a very pleasant color palette. They feel weirdly up, even like they they have like a hint of menace, but it still feels pretty upbeat in in general. Like, you know, upon analysis, that very quickly gives way and it's pretty clear like where it's coming from. But I I think the, the film also comes across as quite upbeat despite the the hint of menace in it and i think part of it is exactly what you just said which is which is i it's it's not anti corporate or anti even anti corporatism because it it really is taking this this idea of like there can be a big happy purposeful company and then something is coming from the outside to mess mm-hmm. it up, right? It's a very like this is a very like early nineties like oh the consultants. It's got a little bit of that that <laughs> that that like office space you know like Dilbert mentality to it as well, where it's like it's not it's not it, it, instead of seeing modern corporatism uh, as the logical end state of. The whole system that, you know, something like, uh, what is it called? Z- Zevo Enterprises or whatever it's called, mm, yeah, yeah. Uh, would would exist in. Instead of that being the logical endpoint of Zevo Enterprises, it's instead a perversion of the big happy corporatism that they all had before all this military shit, you know, you know came in and fucked it all up. And I, I, I think there's also some of that in, like, the views of the military around the same time where it's like, oh, like, the military isn't necessarily bad like we've got we've just got some some bad apples that came in and made like a fucked up you know overly modern version of of the military it's this has got like a weird sentimentality for like nice corporatism and and nicer mm-hmm. militarism yeah yeah honest honest soldiers killing each other in regular ways right for yeah. sure yeah although i will say that um oddly this really does capture exactly how sort of like it's it's trying to s- say something about how eventually uh, there is a point where it's not only like visual physical space, but like they've cut the budget on every department. They've fired a whole bunch of people uh, and, and it's like more and more of the 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 structure of the factory has become restricted space which is uh, it's honestly like a, a series of such it's almost Gilliam-esque how absurd uh, yes. some of the mm-hmm. things yeah. are it's there yeah. there are parts of this that are very brazil absolutely yeah yeah yeah, Carlo. I thought you were going to say that it it, it very accurately captures um, camouflage, military camouflage uh, of the time. And I'm thinking, oh how my many, god! Okay, the how, how many times the couch the couch print is so good. I loved it. I loved it. I, I gotta it say, rolls. for and maybe I was too harsh on this earlier. I did actually. There was a lot of the movie that I, I did quite like and and found pretty you know entertaining and compelling. The thing that like 
without equivocation, I will say that I loved about this movie is LL Cool J's performance. Oh, terrific. <laughs> he is good. Terrific. so good and he's hilarious and his character is very well written too and just like impossibly funny. There's like the, the way he delivers the line, the kind of like intense militarism of him saying very goofy things while he's like in couch print. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> no, I mean, it's also like, he just manages to, to just be cool, just like exude coolness while he's saying these ridiculous lines too. It's so good. Yeah. And he looks cool in couch print. Yeah. Like that's one of my favorite <laughs> costumes in a movie ever. It's so good. I also really love uh, what they do with Joan Cusack. Um, oh, I yes. was always like totally enthralled by her wardrobe as a child, like um, wanting to wear like actual like doll clothes. I love that. <laughs> yeah. And like the, the plastic, the plastic hair, hair and everything. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah, um, it, it it has like a real um. What's what's that show? Lazy Town, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that does have that vibe to it. Yeah, for sure. totally. It's very Lazy Town. Uh, <laughs> but but LL Cool J too. Like the 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 moment that gets me and like that I was like laugh out loud, just like enjoying, is not even like his camouflage moments. It's the moment when he's he's just arrived at the toy factory and is in the back seat of the car with Gambin. And he's like, tell your driver to stop here. And he's like, always on alert, aren't you, son? He's like, 100% dad. And he just like gets out of the car and just starts running, just like hoofing it up the hill into like the grass just because he wants to, because he wants well, the, to like go out before, and play in the shit. Don't, don't forget that he also strips uh, off his outer uniform and underneath yes. he has uh, from the waist down he's green like the grass and from the waist up he's blue right like right. the sky <laughs> it's perfect it's so perfect I love it's such it's so absurd and I love it so much it's so good um, I, I want to just uh, go back to the point about like um, like good like happy corporatism yeah. versus like more sinister like violent corporatism it's a very 90s thing it's a oh, it's very so like 90s. clintonite yes <laughs> it's anticipating like clinton and his uh you know his full-throated uh uh leadership with this idea of like the meritocracy and mm -hmm. like soon the technocracy and that and that like you know business like the, the business of america is uh is like a moral an objective moral good mm -hmm. um and that like above all else it's where like progress and salvation lies and i think that we, of course, now know that that is not true. Um, but like in the 90s, particularly in the early 90s, that like that was a message that felt real and felt mm -hmm. like tangible and like completely believable. Um, and it makes sense that this movie would, uh, you know, we see this in like we have this conversation about Jerry Maguire, right? Where yeah. it's like boutique capitalism right. versus like mm -hmm. the big like sports agency or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny because like another Tom Cruise movie that I was actually thinking about in relation to this, when you guys were talking about, you know, that it's not anti-corporate and it's also not particularly like anti-military. It actually kind of falls uh, 
right in line with the same political perspective that like Aaron Sorkin has in A Few mm-hmm. Good Men, yeah. where it's like these two things aren't bad. They're just ideologically opposed within our existence to the point where if they combine, it's like oil and water, right? Like uh, there's a nice corporatism and there's also like a good, honest militarism. But like you need those things separated, you know, like right. you, you want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. We need a certain mm-hmm. type of guy to like be on the battlefront. But those guys shouldn't be running a company. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is th- this is one of the things that I think is so interesting about, again, like the visual use of surrealism is is that like the the imagery of the happy corporatism is itself surreal. I think it speaks at some level to the fact that it is uncanny and alien and yes. effectively impossible. It's almost like a capitalist version or like a corporatist if you I guess version of like that like I don't know, that like Soviet realism style. Exactly of art. that. Yeah. Yep. People with a giant wrench, but instead of wearing, you know, like like workers' overalls and those like you know, Soviet flat caps, they're all wearing business suits and turning uh-huh. a giant wrench. And it's so 100%. weird. And it's so perfect that that it's surrealist imagery because that is it's that is a surreal idea. I don't know if 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 the the movie itself is, you know, quite like you know, twigs onto that, but it's like, yeah, if, if you want to imagine a, a happy, positive corporate future, you are basically imagining something surreal and not real. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It, it makes me it, think it, of severance, which I think yes, yeah, yeah. nails, nails this, right? Yeah. Nails the sort of like uncanniness of existing in an environment that is incredibly exploitative while also being like plasticine and like uh and like you know uh aggressively um sanitized like the that uh the realization of the the sort of uncanny existence of like uh, the workplace particularly like knowledge work um in today's landscape is that that it is uncanny is something I think that we're only starting to sort of like grapple with yeah. in media, but you're right, Kurt, it's here. And I don't, I, I don't know that it, it is purposeful, but it is evident, which is cool regardless. Yeah. yeah it's, and I, I, I think a movie that maybe takes that and develops it a bit further is the Truman show. Mm, um, yeah. Because the Truman mm, show yeah, has yeah. a lot of that same stylistic touches, except it's in the fake Truman show world. Right. The whole would, thing is in that movie is him escaping it. And in this, it's like, no, we need to get back to the fake Truman Show. Well, world. It's, <laughs> I think that one of the strengths that the Truman Show has, uh, you know, sort of like against this one is that the Truman Show is almost completely uh, it maps onto allegory. Right. Mm-hmm. And this sort of dips in and out. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's it's, it's I, messy. I, it's a complicated. It's not a one to one. Yeah, yeah. And and one thing uh, it's it's funny you brought up a few good men, Aaron. Um a few good men had been open 2 weeks before this came out. Yep. That's so funny. And it's such a weird thing because uh, apparently you're absolutely right. This is what this is what America wanted to eat, you know. They wanted that happy, optimistic, you know, like it's almost like uh, you know, corporatism but with rules, you know. Now, do you speaking of what America wanted to eat? Did you, ha, have you guys seen the the famous trailer 
for toys. Yes, we have. Yes, we have. So if anyone listening hasn't seen it, it's it's got effectively nothing to do with the movie. It's Robin Williams (laughs) dressed in character walking through basically like one of the fields with like the bright blue sky. And he's just kind of riffing. He's just kind of like, you know, doing his Robin Williams thing completely unmoored from any, (laughs) you know, point or or purpose. And people went fucking nuts for this trailer. They went nuts for it. It was like famously successful and the movie itself (laughs) was famously not. So it's, I, I, I have to wonder if there's some degree, if it's just, if that, is that just the Robin Williams effect? Is that, is that the fact that people were like, okay, I, I can roll with this for, you know, two minutes, but, but two hours I'm, I'm struggling (laughs) with a bit. It's, it's, yeah. I think it's it's uh, probably very a lot of it might simply have to do with the fact that people oh it's Robin Williams being like funny yeah. like this in the movie and and in reality Robin Williams' character is very subdued throughout the, <laughs> throughout much of the movie yeah right? yeah for, for, for much of the movie less so less so as it goes on um, for a couple well, yeah, key, yeah. Key, key parts but yeah at the end yeah, when yeah. he's doing his like you know his uh, his military speech uh to the toys is when he kind of feels like he's doing the same sort of riff as mm. in the trailer i even clocked to that you know in the trailer i'm like oh he's doing kind of like uh you know a, a slightly offensive like uh asian impression in here you know pretending mm-hmm. to, to be speaking like what what i assume is like a you know japanese intonation or something like that and then when he's doing that kind of like you know gettysburg address slash like Patton speech uh he does like a gandhi impression as well and like goes on like an indian accent i'm like this is what the people came for is the like slightly (laughs) problematic like early 90s like totally acceptable and palatable (laughs) like uh, impressions is what people want less so they they came less so for the the weird little private eye robot that that watches robin williams have sex okay that scene is really funny though because that robot is just like hilarious to look at isn't like a straight jacket it's really funny he has a tiny a tiny trench coat and a tiny fedora it's so clear that people that that was made by hand it's wrapped in the trench coat he's got the little robot hands poking at i i I actually had the movie paused on that exact frame and he's even got a little teeny tiny belt that you can see the hand stitching on he does it's so good. It's so it's adorable. So, so good. It's very funny. And of course, Jamie Foxx is also in that. Oh, yes, yes. Getting excited about watching you know, and they're all they're all getting, you know, horned up. And then when the little robot gets thrown out the window, they go, ah, you know. So <laughs> I, I, I love that instead of being uh, a radar dish doing uh you know, like like rotating on top of the truck, it's a wind up key that uh-huh. serves as the as yes. the radar dish. Uh, so good. Um, uh, oh, uh, that was it. I, I was going to circle back a moment to, um, your, you, you evoked, um, severance, uh, Carly. And I have to say that I had exactly the same idea when they're trying to infiltrate the, the, the interior, which is shaped dun, 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 you know, very subtly as the Pentagon. <laughs> yeah. There's a labyrinthine, uh, Pentagon in the center of the factory. And, uh, as you're, as they're walking down these corridors, there's like absolutely no, I, I have, like, it, it feels like someone's walking through like those old, uh, 
uh, like the cabinet of Dr. Caligari with the canted angles. And it's like, where mm. are they? And why have they not reached the, the command center yet? It's been like, you know, 30 minutes in the movie. Come on, man. Yeah. Everything about the space is supposed to feel uncanny to a certain extent. Um, mm-hmm. for the reasons we've talked about, I, I just want to briefly go back to the trailer. I think in addition to Robin Williams, ad-libbing and riffing being very much what people in 1992 wanted to eat. Um, I also think one of the reasons that trailer was likely so successful is that it's like very early meta commentary. Um, Mm -hmm. Like it's, I was like thinking like, I can't remember a movie being marketed this way. It like, in the 90s like now i think it's pretty common because our worlds are so mediated and there's so much like fourth wall breaking and we have to acknowledge it all the time that that feels pretty common but um like films weren't marketed that way and this film was because it's robin williams being robin williams talking about like oh that trailer that you just saw like it was okay but yeah. like this one's gonna be better it's and it's, like ahead, doing sorry. what he does and i think like i don't know th- that was novel then and people probably really responded to it hmm. yeah it's it's hard to explain just how different uh movie trailers were in the in the early 90s right. if you haven't seen them like like pick a movie that you think you understand pretty well from the early to mid nineties, <laughs> right. and watch the trailer, and it's and you know it'll be it's, it's always something like a, f- a company taken over by outsiders. The you know of of the 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 prodigal son return, and it's like it's over toys, and it's like it's always they've all got that same kind of that weird trailer voice. Yeah, it's, well, the, the, it's the 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 strange. It's the, it's the in a world voice. Yes. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And and they they toned down the in a worldness for a movie like Toys, but it is still it, typically it would still have been in a you know, very in a world. Um and it, it like everything has to feel like uh, unless it's a kids cartoon movie, everything still has to have that that feel. So yeah, I I you I think you're right, Carly. Having like a weird like like a meta trailer is it would have been very different. Very, mm-hmm. very different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it also, like, it would have had that voice, and it would have had, like, a Peter Gabriel song over the back of it, and, you know, like, the, the <laughs> montage at the end as it climaxes and everything. <laughs> the only other trailer from the 90s I can think of that does a fun meta-commentary thing actually does lean into the, like, in a world voice character, and it's not until the end of the decade. It's Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me. Which hmm. famously was competing. That movie that, is very meta. Yeah, which famously <laughs> that summer was competing against Star Wars Episode One. Right. Uh, so like, it's wow. just a trailer of Austin dancing with like you know go go girls and everything and the, the classic like you know Austin Powers theme playing and uh, everything and, and the trailer voice being like, if you see one movie this summer, see Star Wars. If you see two movies this summer, <laughs> see Austin Powers and that. Star Wars, you know? That's right. Uh, so it was it was one of those. And I was like, okay, this is fun. Like, this this will get me to go and see this the movie. The Toys trailer was ahead of its time. It was ahead of its time. It was paving it's paving t- new ground. Yeah. Ahead, of, ahead of the curve. Um, speaking of ahead of the curve, and, and I know as I was, uh, th- there is that scene where, um, 
where uh, you know Leland Zevo and uh, LL Cool J. I forgot his LL Cool J's uh, character name, but um, they're they're talking. They're like out camping. Yeah, and Zevo has the realization that this will revolutionize the military. Mm-hmm. Uh, that they can have remote control aircraft and remote control tanks and all that stuff. And, you know, that's where I started like going like, huh. And, and like, I, I had the doubling of thought where it's like, okay, I know that he's talking about like cruise missiles because we all remember the televised shot of like the, 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 the Tomahawk, uh, heading into Baghdad or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, from the news and he's just repeating that, right? He's just saying, well, this could be the next step in miniaturization as well as remote control. And it's, it's funny because it's still like, it it still resonates because it's like, Oh, so this is drone warfare. Like it's still Mm -hmm. something that's happening. Yeah, absolutely. It was like really crazy when he was like, think of all the weddings that we could bomb with this technology. And I was like, well, that's ahead of its time. No, I'm kidding. Of course. But God, (laughs) <laughs> but but no, it was it, like you're you're hearing it and you're like, oh, he's in 1992 talking about the uh, yeah, like the drone warfare and the sort of like uh, technological detachment uh, that that particular kind of combat can create and indoctrinating like an entire generation with it. Right. Like we uh, we this conversation was pretty pervasive through the 90s after this too, like about video game violence and the way that it desensitizes people and all of that stuff. So that that's happening here as well. But what Mm -hmm. I think is distinct about the conversation this movie is having is there, you know, in sort of the broader cultural pop cultural conversation, there was this idea of like, okay, children exposed to violence like uh this like we need to like hand ring and talk about this and specifically video games were like a point of contention but this film is very explicitly tying the violence in media to the uh like desensitizing of of children and the the uh, indoctrination of children into the American Imperial Project mm-hmm. via products. Like, mm-hmm. like that wasn't part of the conversation. When we were talking about violence, we were like, ah, oh, like the world is violent. And obviously, like video games must be causing that, not like, you know, capitalism or poverty or whatever. And, and this film is, is explicitly saying like, n- no, like the, the, the commodities that like we operate in and around and consume and particularly the commodities that children consume are, are very much an active part of like the U S government, um, trying to build patriots from a young age. Well, I mean, one of the first toys that are shown is none other than, you know, uh, GI Joe. Yeah, uh, because they want to start doing research and development on war toys. Zemo's mm-hmm. going to get into war toys, <laughs> and uh, and uh, I forget. Um, Hasbro is obviously the owner of GI Joe, but wasn't Dick Cheney <laughs> like a CEO for Hasbro? 
Pr- or probably Hasbro- or somebody nearby, someone proximate to him in the military. Because that I mean, feels right. That whole thing is like just a incredible, like verti- vertically integrated project between the State Department, Hasbro, and like cable networks, right? <laughs> like to make like a television show off of it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So well, and yeah. Go ahead. Oh, oh, no, no. I well, I was gonna shift gears a little bit because. I think that you are right about what the movie is concerned about, but it winds up being concerned about something it should be concerned, something that is concerning, but hadn't hadn't happened yet, which is I, I think the movie is concerned to your to your guys' points about um toys feeding into the military. Yeah. The real definitely. issue is the military feeding into toys. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And, and, because um I think you look at like like now, even even more so than in the '90s, you know, like m- the military shooter, like military games, like mm-hmm. that mil- operator style is so inherent to so much of children's entertainment, if not children's, you know, what we typically call children's media. Um, that I, I I think it, it is it is a bit chilling. But then, have any of you ever heard? Of something called the Army Experience Center that opened in 2008 here in Philadelphia. Oh, 2008. Fucked up year. <laughs> so I, I, I shall read briefly from a press release uh, on the official U.S. Army website, army.mil. Oh, boy. Um, this is, this is uh, August 29, 2008. The Army opened the Army Experience Center, a -a one-of-a-kind, 14,500-square-foot virtual educational facility Friday at the Franklin Mills Mall. The AEC, central to the Army Experience pilot program, offers visitors the opportunity to virtually experience many aspects of Army life while evaluating new marketing strategies. Located near a popular entertainment facility and an indoor skate park, the AEC features a number of interactive simulations and online educational opportunities. Uh, and then and then there's a quote from um, uh, Ryan Hansen of Ignited Corporation, who partnered with the Army on the project, saying, The center is an attraction tool. There is no recruiting mission here, Hansen said. It is here it is more about changing perceptions. So right, right. What's this is more about attraction rather than yes. promotion, right? <laughs> if if people just happen to think that the military is kick ass and like want to sign up at the table we have over here after they oh, have the experience, fuck. like that's not because we're actively recruiting. This was literally like a free military Dave and Buster's is basically <laughs> what it what it was. And, and they had a bunch of like like VR simulator type games. Where, for instance, you know, you and a bunch of your friends. So, so the the picture that is on that is on this this article is um, like a, a couple grown men and what looks like maybe two teenagers sitting in a replica Humvee, surrounded by screens, and they're all holding like imitation, what I presume are some kind of like like uh, you know like laser controller like battle rifle. Like a realistic looking battle rifle, God. you know, shooting at uh, screens of what certainly looks like a vaguely Middle Eastern com- you know, country out of out, out of a Hummer. Um, and it's like That's it's, fucking nuts. And it's funny because it is the it is the exact inverse of what toys is worried about, which is like, oh, we don't want, you know, toy companies turning kids into soldiers. It's like, oh, no, no, don't worry. The military the, the the military will do that, and there won't even be a little bit of of resistance from the companies. Yeah. They're fully on board with that. 
it's yeah it's kind of like the debate about like you know like which one is downstream from the other i feel like toys is is sort of interested in in a little bit of both and like i mean you know, gambin's character for, for sure that. yeah mm-hmm. and i actually thought like as i was watching this like what a fun like double feature this would make with joe dante's small soldiers oh I thought, yeah i thought exactly that yeah yeah, which again is a movie you know later in the nineties. I think ninety seven, if I'm not mistaken, ninety eight probably actually, um, which also is a very funny and I think frankly like maybe like a stronger movie because it's a little bit shorter and and more incisive in what it's trying to do. But it is about you know that that relationship and marriage between the military industrial complex and uh, manufacturers of cho- of toys and and you know entertainment for children so much so that they eventually just like steal a military computer chip and put it into a toy soldier and then they become murderous like that is that's really fun good good concept but it, it is i think kind of playing in the same general ballpark i the the part of the movie that i i think works the best even though it it doesn't it, it's 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 a it's a it's a difficult section of the movie but i think it works the best and it stood out certainly stands out to me the most and i think probably most perfectly captures that that anxiety is um at the end of course after robin williams gives his rousing gettysburg you know address or uh, you know to i guess i guess it's more of like a patent speech I, i guess to uh to the old toys who have been consigned to you know a a little dusty corner of a dusty warehouse and they use you know all the old toys basically sacrifice themselves um as cannon fodder against the the weird little creepy tanks with like the soldier helmets and it's got that the hoo ha hoo ha music um and and then they're like all, all these cute very fao schwartz you know, like early 20th century toys getting exploded by rockets and missiles and guns. And, and it's showing, you know, like the little goose that you pull on a string, like burning and smoking. And, and it's just, it's this very bizarre, but I think effective and very melancholy um, sequence. And I, I, I feel like the, the film never quite recovers from that in a way. Like it's such a weird like it's such a a powerful melancholy sequence that it, it feels to me anyway it feels phony when the film ends on mm. on like a high note. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. I one of the reasons I was drawn to this film as a child, outside of like it looking the way that it does, is because of like how this is going to make me sound like a I don't know like a weird dark kid and i wasn't um but but that's i fine i was I, so that's fine but i was maybe <laughs> I, I accept maybe your energy i accept your energy you have a, you have self-identified as spooky I as was a, a child spooky baby yeah i'll give you that um <laughs> but that's more in like the sense that like i like listened to like big band music when i was like six <laughs> um <laughs> no like i literally did i was like glenn miller i know who that is um but wow uh, yeah, so you're Ellis you're Fitzgerald appearing in like, the picture of the Overlook Hotel, uh, cat, you know, a staff no, photo. No, like but, literally, like I wearing listened a trombone. To, I listened to Ella Fitzgerald a Tisket a Tasket like a lot when I was like a, a kid. Like I watched Matlock, whatever. Okay, um, but one of the reasons I was drawn to this movie so often is because um, of how like. I don't want to say how uneasy it made me, but because it it has sort of like a, a a dark turn and because it never left me feeling like quite 
satisfied. Mm-hmm. I was like very drawn to that as a child. Um, so I, I put it on because it was like, you know, visually really stimulating and kind of uncanny and strange and incredible to look at and, and funny and all of those things. But also because it was a distinct experience from like every other mm-hmm. piece of media I had access to as a child. Um, and it's precisely because of what you're talking about, Kurt. It, um, it, for better or for worse, kind of does feel a, a little bit artificial, um, when it ends. And I think there was like part of me that knew that as a kid and like, and was kind of drawn to the idea that like, there's more underneath the story than what might actually be on screen. And even if mm-hmm. I don't know what that is, I, I like that I can kind of sense it. Um, mm-hmm. and I definitely felt that on, on the rewatch. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think part of the reason that the ending feels kind of artificial is is that in a movie like this, typically, um, if it were about a kid, an actual kid, then they would go back to being a kid at the end, right? Like, that's the whole plot trajectory of, of most kids' adventure or kids' caper-type mm-hmm. films is that, you know, they leave the world of childhood a bit and they have some kind of adventure or hijinks. They go off on their own. I'm thinking of, you, you know, I'm I'm thinking of, like, uh, I don't know, any any 80s kid adventure. I'm thinking of, of like, Flight of the Navigator or something, right? Like, yeah. they right, enter right, the adult right. world and Explorers. then they go back at the end. Exactly, yes, Explorers, yeah. Mm-hmm. Then they go back to being a kid. And in this movie, the the childhood is definitively lost. It is gone. Mm -hmm. It is no more because Robin Williams' character's childhood was was already kind of artificial and feels kind of like weirdly prolonged. It's it's you know it's not necessarily viewed as as this positive thing. It's it's very different from something like say Hook. Where he has to yeah. get his he, he has to get his childhood back, and this it's like he's kind of always got his childhood, and it's like is that is that good? And, and so mm-hmm. the 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 fact that it ends with that being lost, and then it's like oh, but this is this is you know this this is a happy ending. It's kind of like what? But I'm nine. Is this happy? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm nine. Yeah, I mean that's that's like the kind of tension of this movie, right? Like. Levinson had like several hits in the eighties and then like early nineties with like Rain Man and then Avalon, Bugsy, all the of natural, these. Natural man, the natural. Yeah, I love that movie. Well, it, and, it, it's and like, sorry, but it, 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 he just like had all these hits and and like this was kind of like a dream project of his, right? Like this was like a big swing kind of like <laughs> idea. And when you watch it, you're like. I think one of the things that makes it so difficult is the question that we keep kind of like jumping around to, which is like, who is this for? Like what, <laughs> what kind Levinson, of apparently. what? Yeah. Like, right. It's, it's, it's for literally for one guy, right? It's this guy who has this sort of like, you know, like perspective on childhood and, and, you know, like an imagination and maybe, you know, sort of like both an embrace and an abandonment of child, like this weird dialectical thing going on. But it, 
it, it is a strange question to ask. And like, even as you're watching, you're like, I don't know that any part of this was made for me an adult. And as a kid, you're like, like you said, Kurt, I'm, I'm nine. Who is this? Why is Why am I here right now? <laughs> <laughs> well, Aaron, I, I was just going to mention that um, it's funny because uh, Rain Man is by far the, the biggest hit. Like he got Good Morning Vietnam and um, Rain Man, which mm-hmm. is, you know, by far, like he made almost, I believe, like upwards of 400 you know, million dollars off of a, I think it was like a $25 million budget or something. To yeah. In, insane return on that, like yeah, mid budget yeah. movie. And, uh, but then he has Avalon and Bugsy, which are just complete flops. And then this one and Jimmy Hollywood following this one, which is also a flop. And it's not until disclosure that he gets back. Like it's, it's wild to me that, uh, you know, th- this is not a, a type of thing that you'd see now. Uh, in in movies, yeah, one flop. That's it. <laughs> you, you you had <laughs> no, your chance. No, no. Now, if 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 you make a if you make a toys, uh, you're not making a wag the dog in five years. I'll tell <laughs> no, you that. No, no. I, I mean, no. you kind of. I mean, you you look at some of the trajectories of some like the young guys who are like around and like kind of doing that stuff, right? Like, I'm get, I'm very interested to see what Ari Aster does next after Bo is afraid. Uh, but also like Damien Chazelle just did, you know, Babylon, like what's he going to do next? He's going to do like the fourth Gran Turismo, like sequel or something, right? Like no Blomkamp, like that, that's the trajectory now. It's like you, you swung for it and you did something that was like very you and a passion project, but like, I don't know, man, I don't know where you go from here. <laughs> I, I mean, it's what's it's interesting is, is, I mean, I think Levinson as a director is interesting and I, I didn't realize just how many of his films I, I loved, mm-hmm. um, inclu- including Wag the Dog, by the way, which I, I don't, I can't imagine I saw it in theaters. I might have, but I definitely saw it like right when it came out, when I would have been like 14 and I, I loved it. Um, I was, I was one of those weird, like Doonesbury reading 14 years. So it was exactly, <laughs> it was exactly for me, precisely for me. But I have to say the man has fucking range. He definitely does. He's, I mean, he did, I didn't realize he did the Bay that like parasite infection movie from the mm. 2010s. I, I mean, it, you, you know, we, we, he did Sphere, Wag the Dog, Sleepers, Disclosure, Toy. Like, you know, we, so we talked about Rain Man and The Natural. It's like he just has fucking range. Like now, granted, maybe Toys was a little bit outside of that range. Um, but man, like it, it, it's just a a wild career, a wild filmography. Very strange. I also, I had no idea that he did the Bay. I've like, I've, I've batted around the idea of like putting that movie on so many times because it sounds right up my alley. And now knowing that he did it, I'm like, okay, that makes it actually way more interesting (laughs) to me. (laughs) Young Sherlock Holmes, Kurt. Young Young Sherlock Sherlock Holmes. Holmes. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, like, like, uh, I, I I am I am glad that I revisited this honestly, um, and I, Aaron, I I won't tell you uh, to to say that you were glad to revisit it because I know <laughs> it's that's not the case. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah like uh, go ahead. Oh no, I um I I was gonna say yeah, m- th- this was this was a delight to revisit, and I kind of don't know what to do with it now because like it doesn't really it's it's kind of like like he, something else I've been watching lately are these big eighties and nineties historical epic romances like yeah. out of Africa, 
Um, mm-hmm. I, I watched, uh, God, what was the other one? Uh, Days of Heaven. And, and like, I watched it. And I was like, wow, these are great films. And I'm like, what do they connect with now to my life? Like, this is something, this is so of the era in which it's made. They don't really make quite this type of movies anymore. Or if they do, they don't have the same degree of sentimentality. And it like I, I kind of come out of toys feeling the same way where I'm like, wow, what an interesting thing that like I don't like I I, I don't know what purpose it now it, it serves. It feels like it, it feels like contemporary culture is is somehow so divorced from everything that that it's that those films are are doing. And likewise, toys just in a different way that I'm like, I don't know where to put these films. <laughs> oh, don't, don't don't worry, Kirk. Uh, wait for the reboot. I'm sure that there's one on the way. Hell yeah, some Hulu one with like Jack Harlow or something in it. As it, it'll, 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 yeah, it it'll be like a 26 episode uh, season. Okay, okay. I've we'll got get, a pitch. We'll get I've the, got a pitch the entire. We've got the entire backstory of uh, of the Zevo uh, brothers from the beginning. You know, I've go got ahead, a go pitch ahead, for you. Uh, for who should replace Robin Williams, and it's a bit of a strange pitch, but I'm, I'm, I'm but, but uh, given recent casting news, I think it could work. I'm gonna say Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> okay, <laughs> he's already doing a Willy Wonka movie. Exactly, though. I feel exactly. Like it's That's like, why eh. I think he could do it. I think he could. All do right. It. Okay, I, I I could see that. I will. I'll wait to see how I, he does. I'm not a I'm not a big Chalamet fan. I, I mean, Neither he's, am I. He, he's 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 able to uh, you know really embody a role that uh, is both sugar and spice. But but here here's the well thing: done. if you well were going to remake toys, well, uh, thank you, thank you for noticing. <laughs> you you would need to swing for the fences and probably miss in just the same way to to really recapture toys. So I I think. That's why I go in that <laughs> Maybe you do like an inverse of the alien aliens thing and the sequel is just called Toy this time around. <laughs> I don't know. I was thinking about it as I was watching this where I was like, okay, Ridley Scott's Alien, Barry Levinson's Toys, both movies with third act reveals that a character is a robot. So like... <laughs> For a minute there, Aaron, I, I, I sweated a little bit because I thought you were going to say The Toy, and that's not <laughs> – no. that is a movie. Uh, <laughs> the Richard Pryor, Jackie Gleason vehicle. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yes, that's wow. right. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> not sure I'm ready for that conversation. No, just sir. Toy or, or Toy's apostrophe S. Like it's – it's something belonging that, like, to the toys. Like toy. it's possessive to the toys, but also the toys is plural. So for whatever, mm-hmm. I don't know. It doesn't make f- sense uh, grammatically, but we could do you, it. You do you do a Chucky toy uh, crossover. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there you, you could do like Bride of Toys. <laughs> Bride of Toys. <laughs> Seed of Toys. It, it, Chucky is able to finally uh, reproduce, uh, or actually mass produce, I should say. Right. Toys, the beginning, and we see how Just armies uh, of Chuckies. Yeah, the patriarch Zevo before he creates his beanie copter, like how he gets there, <laughs> right? The origin story of of the Zevo factory. The the, the Zevo factory being uh, taken over by toys instead of the Rhythm Nation. Uh. <laughs> wait, wait. Oh yeah, Carly's got a fun tie into that. Actually, <laughs> go, go for I'm it, like Carlo. Do you know the thing I the piece of trivia I was about to bring up? No, no, not at all. But go ahead. Okay, this is nice, let me nice let me just make sure I have this man's name right before I say what I'm gonna say. I like literally can't believe that you said Rhythm Nation. Um, 
Sorry, give me two seconds. Tom Cruise, member of Rhythm Nation, we know now as well. He went to go see a a Janet Jackson concert earlier this week. Oh, okay. Did he send her one of his cakes? (laughs) He probably sends it to her a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Okay, so I learned recently about this connection because I was like tweeting about how I discovered that the choreographer for Janet Jackson's very famous Rhythm Nation music video was also the choreographer for, if you all know the goofy movie, a goofy movie, um, mm-hmm. Powerline, who is the um, uh, like yes. performer that they all like want to go get tickets to. Um, and if you like look at the animation, you can see uh, this man, his name uh, is Anthony Bam Bam Thomas. He's uh, he was the choreographer. He did the choreography for the um, dancers that they used when they were animating Powerline. But in the course <laughs> nice. of me like talking about this online, someone told me that Anthony Bam Bam Thomas is also the person who choreographed and sort of like art directed the music video that is in toys that the mirror ja- song the mirror song. the mirror song yeah. that jamie fox's character and the other like security guy are watching or whomever it is maybe it's not jamie Fox's no it's the character. other like kind it's of like old, guys. old guys at the front desk <laughs> they're like oh I, it's mtv <laughs> I, I love that it's just they put the label on there and that's an, it's like it's looney tunes logic it's like oh see it's mtv see oh, it's it, the it MTV must be channel. mtv <laughs> but anyway the the choreographer for rhythm nation choreographed that music video which i just think is like so wild which which is also i believe uh they they had um they contracted thomas dolby to Mm -hmm. do that song yeah that makes Uh, sense uh yeah for sure for sure like like the like i was like i remember i remember the song itself being a little bit better than than like something that robin williams was just ad-libbing or something right Right. The the yeah, soundtrack song. the soundtrack album for for this is is insane. It's the people bananas. who are on it. There yeah. is uh, okay. So so that that Tori I'm, Amos song actually fucking goes. By the way, like, yes, that yes, song yes. is and, terrific. And I'm yes. just like obsessed with Tori. So like that's you are. It's right in my alley. But I heard it and I was like, this is either Kate Bush or Tori Amos because Tori Amos is the white Kate Bush. So <laughs> yes. uh, there's also. Uh, Pat Metheny, um, you know, mm. well-known, well-known uh, jazz musician. Uh, there is uh, we we mentioned uh, Thomas Dolby. Frankie goes to Hollywood, of course, bringing a, hey. a unique remix of "Welcome to the Pleasure Dome." Uh, Grace <laughs> Jones oh, wow. also wow. on the soundtrack album with Pat Metheny in. Um, I think it's the music that plays at the end when, like the 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 toys are being given to the kids. All the that cheering feels children. Right. That feels like grace. And then in the uh, in um, uh, there is a a reprise of the Tori Amos song combined with a song called "The Closing of the Year," which mm-hmm. also features Seal. Yes. <laughs> oh my god. Yes. Yeah. It's such a <laughs> great '90s soundtrack album. Uh, wow, it really <laughs> is. <laughs> Baby, yeah. <laughs> uh, that was famous. That fucking banger of a tune was, in fact, uh, from the soundtrack of a children's movie, and that children's movie is Space Jam. I just want us to remember that. 
That's Kiss from a Rose? Which one? Yeah, Kiss from a Rose. Uh, isn't that, that from was Batman, Batman Forever. Yeah, yeah Batman, Forever, Batman, yeah. Forever, Batman Forever. Forever. Oh. Yeah, which is also technically kind of a kid's movie. There was a seal song from Space Jam, though, wasn't there? Yeah, it's Fly Like an Eagle. Oh, Fly Like an Eagle, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Was that okay. seal, though? Yeah. Okay. It was. All right. Yeah, doing a cover of uh, Steve Miller Brand, I guess. Mm-hmm. Right. I digress. Yeah. Um, I the only other, the only other thing I wanted to talk about is is Joan Cusack's character. I want to talk oh, about all the so ladies, great. in fact, too, because Robin Wright is so adorable in this movie. I, want I to die. love <laughs> her. I love her outfits. Yeah, her a- her movie. accent. Her it's, accent. It's her sweet. little like pseudo like I don't know like American Revolution era like jacket that she wears <laughs> like <laughs> like a very, ringmaster's jacket or something with a scrunchie. It works. Yeah, it's it the, the it's it's interesting, isn't it? Though the like the female characters in this film as a whole are, are kind of in a in a strange place. They feel like like Joan Cusack's character feels obviously extremely of the mu- the of the movie, mm-hmm. and uh, Robin Wright's character kind of feels like like it was, like she was you know helicoptered in from a different film entirely. Right. Completely. <laughs> Wandered onto the soundstage and just they became trapped inside of it. Yeah. Yeah. But despite that, one thing that I, I so often forget about Robin Williams until I watch him in these kinds of movies is just like how good he is at finding that like chemistry with his yeah. uh with his actresses that he performs against i'm thinking specifically too of uh the fisher, the king, fisher king from the year before mm. this with him and amanda Plummer mm. and the way that he like woos her and it's like so tender and sweet and he has this way of just like being so like warm and inviting and you know like he's just sweet when you see it and you're like i he's buy this earnest. i believe this he's that earnest. like that this is actually like an attraction happening here in real time yeah and joan cusack's character is it's like quite literally like immaterial right like like she is not real um and we we find that out at the end of the film that she's um she's another toy actually uh Uh and you know i don't think that the film was making like a feminist statement with that (laughs) i think that like i think that that's more sort of um uh a signal to um kind of the world the the world that uh robin williams's father robin williams's character's father had created for him um Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. you know we learn is like permeable and like not sustainable ultimately um and kind of dies with joan cusack's character dying Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i i i uh... Yeah, I, I, I think it's funny because she's, <laughs> she, she's not a manic pixie dream girl. She's built that way, right? Yeah, uh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I, I also, um, you know, you, you say that, but, but I also am thinking about how warmly, again, to, to Robin Williams' credit, like all his scenes with her feel very, like she doesn't feel natural, right? In in the sense that she she is an artificial creature, and by the end you you realize, oh yes, that 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 makes perfect sense if you've been paying attention, right? I mean, she she <laughs> she does quality assurance 
uh, on on dolls' clothing by making full sized versions <laughs> of dolls' clothing and wearing it, um, which is you know not only just quirky, it's also like well that's what her job is too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and, and functional. So, but but even then, uh, whenever uh, uh, Leslie's with her, like he treats her very much like he's she's his actual sister because that's exactly how they've been raised, you know. Right. Um, I, I mean, it it, it, ma- it makes sense because it. I, I think that 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 revelation is interesting because he, him having a sister is even if she is very unusual and like you said, like clear acts in a very artificial way the whole time, it's a very prosaic thing, right? Like, Oh, mm-hmm. like it's e- even though she acts very artificial, it's, it's almost normal that he would have, you know, an even weirder sister. It's, it feels like it, it, it makes the film feel connected to the outside world, which mm-hmm. we really never see. Like we really never get a, like if we do, it's, it's very brief, like a glimpse of, of, of the world outside of, of, you know, Leslie's world within, within the toys, you know, setting um, it, her, her character feels like, Oh, there could be, there could be something else. And when she is revealed to just be kind of like also part of the production, it's like, oh, this whole thing, this whole thing is completely divorced from the rest of of reality. Everything mm. about it is completely artificial. And yeah, yeah. it's very it's and it, it, it is it's very it's genuinely touching uh, that, you know, yeah, he, he seems to treat her like a like a person, despite knowing yeah. the entire time, you know. Well, and yeah, and I. Also, just as an interesting mirror to um, LL Cool J's character, right? Mm-hmm. Because LL Cool J, both of them lost their mothers early on. Uh, and LL Cool J carries that sort of uh, grief with him throughout the movie, right? He can't even talk about it. You know, he doesn't like it when people talk about his mom and so on and so forth. And he, he still feels it, right? But in the meantime, you know, you have Leslie over here who his dad weirdly bo- built him a sister because he figured he might need somebody mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. that his mom was gone uh, to, to sort of weirdly uh, humanize him, right? Uh, and and you see how uh, LL Cool J's character has become like this reconnaissance character, who <laughs> again just uh, hides in plain sight. It's it's beautiful to behold. I um, the thing I I noted about uh, this movie on this last rewatch is just like how um, how permeated with grief and death this entire film is like <laughs> like like literally from the beginning mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. and i think that's another reason again uh, I, I, I mean i guess i was a weird kid i don't know um I, I think that was another reason i was drawn to this this film is that um despite this you know sort of like saccharine sheen of the entire thing that that kind of like oppressive optimism that we've been talking about. Um, You do feel like the melancholy and, and the movie does feel like very emotive. Um, It doesn't feel, uh, I never feel like at a distance. I never felt at a distance when I was watching this film. I, I was always like incredibly immersed and like very emotionally connected to what was happening in the film. And 
I think that's kind of a feat for it to look the way that it does and still manage to feel dark and, um, and, and, you know, sort of sinister and melancholy in the ways that it does. Um, and also feel like very human, um, for all of the like uncanniness that we're playing in. Um, there are a lot of like really touching human, uh, moments in this film that are are quite tangible not just in spite of but i think like because of the aesthetic trappings of the film um and i just appreciate that whomever this film is for that it is um it is one i've because of the loss of my dad last year like i just i'm i'm more now like i think drawn to media that like isn't afraid to deal with death and grief like directly indirectly all of the above and um and on this watch i i appreciated that i think even more than i did when i was a child Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Yeah, there's a there's like a sense of of um There's a sense of it being something that needs to be embraced and come to terms with and, and, you know, examined or felt in its own, in its own way. And, you know, that, that, that same thing that I criticized the film for earlier about, you know, childhood kind of being lost at the end of the film is in most respects, a more honest way to end a film like this. Then that flight of the navigator, everyone goes back in time and you get your childhood back ending mm-hmm. because, you know, yeah. it is the nature of childhood to end and it is the nature of adulthood to arise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is one of the this is one of the rare films kind of pitched it at, at kids that in a very in a very it is a very sentimental film that is very unsentimental mm-hmm. about that particular fact that, yeah. in a way that I think is much more honest than it maybe needed to be and maybe in a commercial sense ought to have been. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, to, to your point, Kurt, yeah. Like at the end of this, that was something that, that uh, I, I had been thinking about ever since you mentioned like the, the ending feeling sort of like uh, unsatisfying or, or actually I think unsatisfying was Carly's term, but, but the, the fact of the matter is that by the end, um, Leslie's been sort of like jogged out of his arrested childhood, right? Mm-hmm. His state of eternal childhood has been sort of jogged and he now has to be, you know, be an adult and make adult decisions because he's in charge of the company now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I, I love that, um, that, uh, you know, uh, Leland ends up, uh, <laughs> in a weird, uh, bivouac tent. Uh, inside another building next to his dad and, uh, waving at little miniaturized, uh, soldiers on a, on a conveyor belt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> played, played by the great Jack Warden. That I was trying to remember the name. Yes. Uh, wasn't he, am I misremembering or he was, no, that's Walter Matthau. I'm sorry. I'm thinking of the bad news bears. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not not yeah, Matthau, like, although that would have been fun. Yeah, I mean, uh, he he he's uh, he's an actor that I remember from like uh, my childhood in the seventies. So I don't know that I saw him much after that. 
but anyway, yeah, I, I just I, I I do think that this movie is a lot of fun and actually does have i think the i'll repeat again um it's reading the reviews of people at the time you know like they just really did not get this movie (laughs) and i don't know that uh it's it's not a movie that allows you to get it uh in in a very simple fashion either in part because it, it sort of drifts in and out of allegory and uh, and into sort of more realistic things, uh, characters and so on and so forth. So it, it doesn't ever really maintain that sort of childish veneer that's necessary, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it 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 straight up ends with them at a grave, you mm-hmm. know, having come to terms with the fact that that people die, and then also at the same time doing a joke where, you know, they look away for a second and they look back and LL Cool J has disappeared. He's disappeared again. And they go, right. Patrick? And he goes, yeah. And they go, okay, just checking. <laughs> Phil Let's, uh, I love also, it. I love it. Uh, yeah, last gag of the of the movie uh, is, is, is given to him. Uh, I do want to point out that the, <laughs> the, the memorial is a... G- gigantic white elephant that blows bubbles yes. mm-hmm. <laughs> but like, the, just, yo the the full-size elephant that sprays like is it snow or like oh, bubbles yeah, yeah, or something? Yeah, snow over that the, the is company so uncanny that's very odd very uh, odd well, very strange it, but very cool i mean but that that sort of is what what made me realize oh this is santa inc mm-hmm. and you're you're supposed to yes it is a corporate film and it has like this like like you said, Kurt, it has that corporative um, nature to it, but that's the thing that made me understand that for the audience it's intended in in the kids, they're supposed to think of this as exactly that the fa- a factory that's a Santa works at, right? Because it's always winter there; it's snowing. Mm-hmm. The giant elephant it says so. Um. Anyway, uh, I I think that that's uh, all I have right now. Any, I guess we've been sort of like going through our last thoughts <laughs> for the last twenty minutes or so. So, um, uh, Aaron Carly, thanks for returning, and especially thanks for returning to to talk about this movie with us. Um, I, I I don't know that uh, our our regular listeners don't know about Hit Factory, but if there's an odd listener out there that has not heard about you yet, where can they find you? Well, thank you so much, Carlo. Yes. Uh, Hit Factory podcast of a podcast about the films of the 1990s uh, can be found anywhere that you stream podcasts. Uh, we also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Hit Factory pod, where we do biweekly bonus episodes for the full Hit Factory experience. Uh, and you can follow along with the show at Hit Factory pod on Twitter and on Instagram. And thank you for having us on. I I like don't think I could have ever anticipated like when I was a child watching this movie for the 24th time <laughs> that I would like end up discussing it at some point in my 30s like uh on a podcast, but like I, but it is it's one of those like random movies that like 
I I just watched all the time. So I feel like I'm the perfect guest for this conversation. <laughs> there you go. Well, see, some some kids like me, you know, you, you're, you're six years old. You think you're going to be like an archaeologist because you like dinosaurs. Other kids, they might think, you know what? I want to be a podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> and there you have it. It's true. <laughs> um, anyway, uh I suppose we should sign off and uh, thanks everyone listening in and we'll catch you next time here on Podside. Side.